Hey, I'm Chris from the RM Hub. I'm joined today by James Adie, founder and lead trainer at Innescope. Your job title is founder and lead trainer. But to me, founder and lead trainer, or to a young person, founder and lead trainer, it's, I don't actually know what that is. So if you could just tell us what it actually means. So as the founder and lead trainer of Innescope, it's a, well, the founder element would mean that I started it. I had the privilege of, of, of starting in a scope in one sense it was kind of like a my brainchild in a sense so i guess that's the founder element but the lead trainer element that means that i've got the responsibility of um delivering training but training trainers basically so everyone that comes on the team um i'm responsible for inducting them and, and training them so that they get to a point where they can deliver our programs um and our keynotes independently yeah that sounds pretty cool. What, what sort of made you, made you found this such a thing? I would definitely say that there's like a variety of key components that contributed to Innerscope coming to, into being, so to speak. So one of them was when I used to work in a pupil referral unit and I realised that there were students walking through the doors with better maths than me. However, their ability to navigate relationships um, with their peers and with um, staff teams is where they struggled. And like for me, academically, I struggled um, as a student in primary school, didn't do too well. For most of secondary school, I didn't do too well, but I managed to turn it around in year 10. So I passed with five, um, more than five A to Cs. But what I realised upon my reflection is that actually I was quite good at getting along with my peers. I was quite good at nav navigating relationships and being able to, I was all right at that. I was good at maintaining positive relationships with teachers and being able to have conversations and problem solve with teachers but what I saw while I was working in the PRU is that many of the students that came there although academically they would have been brighter than me um, in one sense in terms of their interpersonal acumen that was struggling so that's one thing that made me think wow like you know what at one point I would love to do something that meets that need so actually later on in that PRU I was asked by an educational consultant to put together a course for some reason we decided to call it um, ACSI which stood up for advanced communication and social interaction. And um, I really enjoyed doing that, even though it was a bit of a, a, a mouthful. I really enjoyed doing that. And so that was one of the key components. Working in the Peru was a big thing for me. Um, growing up on the estate where I grew up as well was massive because that gave me a massive insight into the reality of social pressure and how that can have an impact on outcomes for, for young people. You know, I... I, I I had the privilege of being like a detached youth worker on the estate where I grew up and what was interesting is like it actually used to hurt in one sense but when we're doing detached youth work around the time that we were doing it there was there was like just so many young people out and about like sometimes when I go back to my mum's area it's like a different world now because they've all grown up um, and they've all moved off and it can look quite quiet but the time when I was living there there was so many young people so many different groups as well it was really cool it was a great time to be a youth worker and actually what was interesting is that there'll be times where we'll make contact with like a, a new group. Um, I remember like just, just some, yeah, there was a particular afternoon. We made contact with these two young people and they were on the estate across the road and they were kind of like loners that had hitched together. You know, they were like, listen, we're out here. We're new to the area. Let's just be friends. And they were lovely, you know, lovely, lovely guys. Um, but unfortunately, over time, they just slowly got inducted into a crowd that kind of drifted them. And what was really interesting to see is just literally seeing almost like a visible change in their demeanour, like, you know, over time. 
So yeah, I think one of the key things that helped Interscope come into being is the reality of helping young people navigate um, just their social circle. So that was key. Another a key component was being at university. Um, I did a youth and community degree. And in my second year, we did a, a module in um, coaching, mentoring and counselling. And it was during that particular module where I was like, I love the sound of coaching. And actually, when I leave and when I complete my degree, I'm going to start something related to coaching. And that's what I did. So I'll say those key things. I feel like a lot of people from your state, they got, they got, they obviously got really good grades. Mm. Uh, that was pretty impressive. And then you went to university, which is mm. probably quite rare from your estate. Mm. But what made you not want to just leave the estate and like, you know, go into something like finance or you know, things that people would expect from university, but actually go back and help people? Well, that's a good question, man. So to be honest, man, um, if I was to be like deeply, deeply honest, so a big part of my professional development is being like a youth minister, actually. I was a youth minister at the church just outside my estate. And as a young person, I actually became a Christian. At 17, I came to faith. So I would say, like, I don't know what it was, but for a long time, I had such a deep affinity and passion for my local community. Like, I absolutely loved my estate. Like, absolutely loved it. Um, and I still love it now. But I think that's a massive thing that kept me. So much so that actually there was a youth project for youth workers that want to do youth work in an area but in order to be on the programme, you had to live within the area. It was an amazing um, pro programme called the Eden Project that I was a part of. So, the, so my local Eden team was where I lived anyway, but that's actually how I met my wife. My wife found out about this local Eden team in North London. She lived in Croydon at the time. So she moved all the way from Croydon. Uh, we weren't married at the time, but she moved all the way from Croydon as a youth worker to live in the area. So if I was to be honest, I think for my community, there was just a passion. I, I would like to say it was a God-given passion um because yeah to be honest um christopher there was definitely times where you know yeah i went through some hard stuff <laughs> um on my estate as a youth worker it's, it's like even in youth work you know it's quite it's, it's it's usually discouraged not to really do youth work in the area where you actually live i would say i managed to do youth work for about 10 years where i grew up and thankfully it didn't go pear-shaped but there were definitely times where it easily could have so I think the key thing that kept me in those challenging times was, was my faith and, and that sense of, I would like to say a sense of like calling. I almost felt like committed to this place, like, you know, and then, yeah, there's, it, was for, it was for a key season in life and then I moved on. Yeah, but I still, I still go back now and again. I feel like when I was going to school, because I grew up Christian as well, mm -hmm. So it's cool that you found out at 17, I, I was Christian from birth, but I, I'd say it's probably about a similar age. I actually, um, I got quite strongly connected to it as well. Right. Um, but one thing that I found out at school is that people were sometimes against me for being religious. So that right. they didn't yeah. quite trust me because of that. Yeah. Did you ever find that when you were, when you were doing outreach as well? You're always going to have deep people that have like different perspectives and stuff, you know? And I, but I think what was quite key in my area is actually is the area where I grew up. And like, <laughs> and people knew me. So they knew what I was like before I found my faith and they knew what I was. I wasn't like, yeah, I, I had a, I had a, <laughs> I didn't know the podcast was going to go here, but you know, seeing as we're here, let's go for it. Yeah, I didn't plan, I didn't plan that originally. This, it was a question that I was just No, it's absolutely I fine, honestly. You don't have to. No, I'm, I'm, I'm fully, fully up for it. So what, what I'll say is that, um, yeah, like, I think what was quite powerful is people 
from my area knew that I was from the area. So they knew that some of the challenges, pressures, you know, friction, tension with different areas, all of that, I had had to navigate myself. Um, so in one sense, you're right in, in that, I, I guess if they didn't know me and I came from nowhere, then it might, there might have been a bit more of a, you know, a little bit of suspicion, but because they were like, actually, this is James who we know, but actually there's, the, there's a faith that he's talking about that seems like genuine from the outside looking in. I think that was quite key. And the truth of the matter is, as I say, like there was a, such a heart of love and compassion for my area, you know, that kind of had an impact on how people would relate to myself and my team. Um, and I think that's just important. And I think there's a key principle there that, that transcends whatever sector you're fi you find yourself in. There's that funny saying where people say, people want to know how much you care before they care about how much you know. And, and I think that's, you know, symbols of care and how we demonstrate this and show this was, was a key part of, of my team, you know? And I, and I loved it, man. I, I totally, totally, yeah, loved it. You, you mentioned that you went to university. Do you think that university actually helped you in what you're doing now? Or do you think that maybe university wasn't worthwhile yeah that's a great question for me it definitely helped because i didn't go straight into university so i when i completed like a college um course i did yeah i did a college course in in hackney and then um i decided that i wanted to work actually um so i worked for some time so and when you work it's helpful isn't it because you get an idea of the working world and you realize actually whether or not having a degree is going to add to the, the the journey that you're on or not so for me I came up to a point where I um, realized that, yeah, I want a degree. So what had happened is that there was a role that came up for a youth participation worker. And essentially what they said was in order to apply, I had to have a degree. And I was like, but in my mind, I was like, I can definitely do this role, but I don't have a degree. So I was like, well, that's mental. So I would have been about 20, I want to say 21, 22 at the time, probably 22. And to be honest, I just kind of took it on the chin because I was like, I'm fairly young. But I did start to think, well, James, what if you had a wife and kids and there was this job going and you couldn't take it um, because you, you don't have a degree? So I said, listen, I don't want that to be the case. And then also being coming up through the ranks as a youth worker, you're also aware that there's what's called like a JNC qualification, which is like the most qualified you can be in some respect as a youth worker. And so I did want it. I, I wanted to get that. I wanted to get my, my JNC qualification, which I did. So. So yeah, for me, it definitely, definitely was significant getting my degree. I know everyone's journey is different, but for me, getting a degree was key. That's on my degree again is when I decided that, listen, like, I want to do this coaching thing. I want to start a coaching company when I finish my degree. Maybe I would have started Interscope without that because I was doing things that, you know, what is now Interscope prior to my degree, to be fair. Who knows? But one thing I definitely know is that um, I got a lot of value out of um, my undergraduate i went to university older as well i know it's definitely it's hard going to university when you've been in the working world as well mm -hmm. and maybe you're a little bit older than some of the people there i know you're on that much older so you can still sort of fit in but i feel like you have a different perspective on life yeah. mm. one thing one thing i'm wondering like when i'm looking at Innoscope, mm. um is that you speak in front of like hundreds of people yeah. How do you have the confidence to go and speak in front of hundreds of people mm. and, you know, not, not just break up? Because if I was stood in front of hundreds of people, especially when I was younger, mm. I, I would have just paused and not been able to say a single word. Yeah. How, how do you have that confidence? It's a good question, man. So for me, like, there was just significant experiences that I had growing up that really, really helped. One of them was when I used to go to a youth club myself and then my youth worker just put my name down 
for a talent show that was taking place. So when I was when I was younger, I was like an aspiring MC. Like everybody wanted to be the next busy rascal, you know. And I was like the first in first in line, you know. So I had my lyrics and all of that good jazz there. Um, but um, essentially, he just put my name down and was like, James, you're gonna do it. You know, I've, I've seen you spit your lyrics. You're gonna do it. And so I rose to it. So I did the show and I was petrified. And um, literally for most of my performance, I was looking at the ground and I was like literally shaking inside. But after I did it, I was like, you know what? That was actually quite cool. And what was interesting is almost like what it did for me internally was massive. And there was a massive contrast to what it looked like visibly. Like visibly, you would have just seen a guy on the stage who looked scared out of his socks with his face to the ground. But actually what happened for me internally was actually the sense of, wow, like I've got something to offer. So that was one of, and I would have been about 16 at that time, I think. Yeah, about 16. So that moment actually um, contributed to what I do now. I know that a lot of the confidence that I am able to exhibit in a public setting is I can pinpoint to that moment being a key one. So when we work with young people, man, we really encourage them to, you know, um, to welcome opportunities when they feel like it's outside of their comfort zone, because actually you might just discover something there that can play a key role to where it is that you're going. So, so that's a massive key thing. But another key thing is like investing in what you do. So for me, I, I'm of the persuasion that if I think that what I have to offer is genuinely valuable, then actually that's what is to take president as opposed to it being about me if i know that when when i'm coaching students or when i'm speaking to them what i'm going to share with them is of genuine value then that's what it's about ultimately if it's about me serving young people then that should be at the forefront of my mind and, and having that mindset in mind helps me to think a bit less about me and my nerves that's not to say i don't get um, nervy i do um, and i think that's a good thing but those are key things that helped with the confidence. Like when I was really young, being put in that situation where, where I had to stand outside my comfort zone and then remembering that it's not all about me. I remember that being an MC in stage and everyone, everyone trying that. My, my brother used to spit like the worst rhymes and I, I used to try, but I, I gave up quite soon. Yeah, I used to skateboard as well. So I felt oh, is it? Well, uh, I was a little bit better at that side. So right. Oh, fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. Found, found your lane. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But yeah, I, I feel like, you know, you obviously was quite known around your community and there's a lot of kids who I knew growing up who were like, the, you know, the man on the block and everyone knew who they were and sort of, they were, they were a bit of a role model, even at a young age. Mm. Uh, how do you feel that young people like that can start helping their communities already? Do you think there's a way that they can do that? Excellent, excellent question, man. I think a practical, like what was massive for me was volunteering. I used to volunteer quite a lot. So there was an amazing um, initiative called Arsenal in the Community. So coaches from, coaches from like, like, you know, Arsenal youth provisions sort of thing would come onto the estate and do football sessions and I used to go along and, and volunteer. Um, then there was like a local youth club. I, used to, I, used to, I just got involved, like I just found myself in environments where I could serve, you know? And what I learned along the way is that actually if, you're genu if, you're, if you genuinely want to effectively serve people, then what naturally follows is that you kind of want to skill yourself up so you can be of better service to others. And so I just found myself having a hunger to develop my skills and my experience so that I can go on to improve and enhance the quality of service that I was giving others. So volunteering was a key thing for me, actually. Um, so I would say any young person that 
you know, you've got a positive influence in your community, volunteer, you know. Um, another key thing is I'll say it's always good to try and work out what your strengths are. You know, that's, that's something that I, I, I gained an appreciation for as I got older. Um, but sometimes it's just through kind of getting stuck in that you work them out, to be fair. Obviously, where you're from in Islington, it's quite a, a rough area from what, what you know, I've seen on the news and that type of thing. Mm. Um, and a lot of the young people we work with, from, work with are from rough areas and diverse backgrounds and things. Mm. But why, why do you think it is that there's more people in top jobs that are you know, from privileged backgrounds mm. rather than people from diverse backgrounds? Mm. That, that is a whole podcast in and of itself. It's a great question. And I think it's, there's, there's a multi-tiered way as to how we can approach that. But um, how would I kind of try and bite-size it? So I think there's a reality. So one thing that I get the privilege to speak to, um, to staff teams about and to, to leaders in education about is what I like to call um, experiences and examples. For some young people, they don't have access to particular experiences or examples that inherently broaden their quote unquote horizons. As there's a deficit in that regard, sometimes, unfortunately for some young people, they do have access to negative experiences and negative examples. You know, so, you know, I remember like in my studies, I was really fascinated by a criminological theory called, um, it's called the strain theory. And it's just this whole idea that some, this theorist called um, Agnew, who basically said that Essentially, delinquency comes about when young people don't have exposure to positive role models, but they do have exposure to negative ones. It's quite, it's quite straightforward. And I think that, that, that plays a part to this, to this question, actually, and to the great work that you're doing, to be fair, Christopher. So definitely keep that going, man. I'm, I'm loving the sound of your work. And that's why it's so important, actually, because at least when young people are aware of the, the things that you're doing and, and, and organisations like yours, at least there's a choice. <laughs> at least it gives us... But for, for some young people, there's almost a sense of, well, let's just get on with such and such. Even though I know it ain't good for me, actually, there's a, there's, I can see a short-term win here and I'm happy to... So I think to answer that question more directly, what I'm saying essentially is that for some young people from some backgrounds, they don't have exposure to these opportunities. It's not that the opportunities ain't there, they're just not exposed. So what do we do then? Actually, there is a reality in which, you know, you can take responsibility and, and go out there and expose yourself. There is that, and you know, with Innerscope, we're big on responsibility, to be fair. But then quite equally, there's a responsibility on the part of the practitioners and professionals around them to create these opportunities for them. So I think those two key things are, are key. Um, and then I, I do wonder, I do think in some instances, actually, you might just find, you know, there is statistical evidence that suggests that for some young people from particular backgrounds, but based on their last name, that can have an impact on whether or not they're getting a call back for an interview. You know, if they've got a, a, a last name that sounds hard to pronounce and it's clearly not an Anglo last name, then it just might have an impact on just some of their life experiences. And there is that reality of, of almost like, um, you know, whether it's known or not, or whether it's unconscious bias or just conscious bias, that, that does play out in the workforce, I do think. Um, so I think that's, that's also a contributing factor as to why you might find some people are not represented. And then there is also a reality in that some people from some backgrounds are just not applied. And some people might just not be qualified. So there's that as well. 
And so I do, I do think it's important to maintain somewhat of a balance, but at the same time, there is a reality of structural um, discrimination that can have an impact on some of the issues related to social mobility. I also feel like, you know, when you said that people are around um, positive role models as often, that's like mm-hmm. a, that youth leader was for you. And, you know, mm-hmm. there's a lot of youth leaders in the community. Um, mm-hmm. And it, like you said, the responsibility of actually engaging in that type of stuff yes. is, is from both. It's, you know, the youth leaders need to get out there, but the uh, young people actually need to give them a chance as well. Yeah. So if someone totally. comes to you and says you can, you can achieve something. You've got to actually give them a chance. I really liked what you said there. About I that. think so. I think that's key. I think that's key. You know, growing up, like I came across a phrase that was like really powerful for me. So as I say, I used to like I was an aspiring UK rapper slash grand artist. <laughs> but um, there was a local artist actually called Skinny Man, who like again like a lot of us used to look up to because he was like a pioneer in the UK hip hop scene. And he had this album, and his album was called um, Council of State of Mind. And it was kind of like inspired by Nas. Nas had an old school album called New York um, State of Mind. And that particular um, phrase, like what it did for me, even as a young person was quite powerful, you know, like a counselor state of mind. You know, what does it look like to be someone that's got a counselor state of mind and, and how, what impact is that having on me as a young person? And actually, how can I go about switching that up? How can I move beyond that particular paradigm? You know, so even little things like where my secondary school, <laughs> at one point they taught us orienteering as a sport, as a PE thing. But there was this lovely park next to my secondary school called um, Waterloo Park. And um, I loved it. I absolutely loved it. It was very, it's a very nice posh park. It like historically was owned by tycoons in Highgate. Lovely park. And so growing up from time to time when I discovered that park, I will go there personally just to switch up my environment. It was like 30 minutes on the bus, weren't too far. And that was one of the things that helped me break out of like visibly out of a council state of mind. Oh, no, there's this park that's only 30 minutes away, isn't it? Right next to my secondary school. And when I'm here, I feel different. I like it. It's, it's different to what I'm used to. And um, so, yeah, I, I, yeah, I would say, yeah, things like this, it's just helpful in terms of like personal and social reflection. And that's nice how you, you, know, you took the advice that you, you gave earlier, you, you took mm. yourself as a young person as well to actually put yourself out of that environment. Mm-hmm. You know, go to somewhere that you enjoyed that won't necessarily yeah. a place that you'd be expected to be at that age. Yeah, or, true. You know, from yeah. That, that, that environment. I, I feel like we need to wrap things up because you're so, such a busy person. Is there any sort of final advice that you'd give to young people? I think just naturally a key, a key theme that's come out of this particular um, podcast is that whole idea of putting yourself in environments where you can actually, you know, discover new skills, new strengths, um, new experiences that help you, um, yeah, navigate the future really. So, you know, that, that it can sometimes sound a bit cliche, but that whole idea of moving outside of your comfort zone and seeing what happens once you do so, I think is quite a powerful theme. So I guess that would be a key thing that I would love to, love to share with young people. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a nice point. And obviously, you've been involved in the grime scene. You've been involved in, in the youth work, and now, now you're, you know, changing minds with obviously training leaders. Um, but what what's next for you? I'm really excited about really um, making strides with working with leaders. I think if we're because we're quite passionate about outcomes for students, I think what naturally follows is how we equip the practitioners that work with them. So it's been great to be working with middle and senior leaders in secondary schools 
and um, I'm looking forward to developing that sort of work moving forward.